Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. Good morning. You guys doing all right? I think that might be the only time I've ever heard my wife tell a joke. Like, like that's like maybe like that's maybe the, one of the first times. Like, I, I haven't heard that. We, she caught me in the hall. She goes, "Do you like my joke?" And I said, "Well, I've just never heard you tell one." So anyway, so we're gonna work on that a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. She did say that um, uh, Mike Hickman, who's our comedian, he's coming from Colorado Springs. Uh, she did say that was on February seventh. It's actually February tenth. It's February tenth. So February 10th, join us. It's going to be a blast. And if for nothing else, it's my birthday, and we can just, like, you can come to my birthday party. It's going to be right here in this room. Not that that's my birthday party. It really isn't. But uh, it's going to be a good time. So let me ask you a question. We've been in this series. Um, we've been in this series that we've been, uh, calling, that we've been calling Now What? Now What? And, and the reason we're calling it Now What? is there's this space... There's this space that we hold in our faith. There's this space that we hold when we gave our life to Jesus. There were reasons we gave our life to Jesus. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, that for those in the room, that we gather in the name of Jesus. And there's this space where you gave your life to Jesus. And I can guarantee you that shortly after that space, shortly after, maybe even like 30 minutes later, there was this moment that went off in your heart and it was like, now what? Now what do I do? What, what do I do now? Now what? What happens now? And it's, it's true because it's, it's not just true that, that, it, uh, that we read about it in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. We're going to be reading about it. We're going to go through Acts, Acts chapter 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. There's this space where the disciples, they looked at Jesus and they said, they said now what? There's a space when we read the book of Luke. Luke is literally, he's trying to answer this question for his friend Theophilus. Theophilus is a friend of his that he grew up with. They're both Greek. They're both Greek. Uh, Luke, his family grew up in Jesus. How many of you guys grew up in church that your mom and dad, they, they knew Jesus? Maybe your grandparents knew Jesus. Like, it's just been a part of your family. It's part of who your life is. But some of you... You came to Jesus, and, and your family didn't ever follow Jesus. Well, that was Theophilus' story. And so when Theophilus gave his life to Jesus, literally he was looking back to Luke, and he was saying, now what? After I give my life to Jesus, now what? And so the book of Acts is Luke, the apostle. Luke is trying to literally tell a story of how you follow Jesus. Now what? I think it's a fascinating question. And in truth, that when you're in this room, if you've given your life to Jesus, there's this point for you where you've probably gone, now what? Now, here's, here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about expectations. We're going to talk about expectations. Because there's this space that when you give your life to Jesus, that not only should you have expectations, right? But there's this space that I think that sometimes in our faith, we start just doing religious stuff and we stop literally coming before Jesus with high expectations. 
My hope for our church this morning would literally be that God would meet you today. And I don't say, I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not saying that like, like, like in some kind of philosophy type of way. I'm literally saying that in this space, that as we gather to meet with Jesus, I believe that Jesus meets with us. I believe that Jesus' spirit comes to us. That when we look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, that Jesus told the disciples, they said, now what? And he said, now go into the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to fill you. And there's this space that the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, they were living with this expectation that they were going to be empowered by the Spirit of God in a fresh, new way. But they were living with expectation. That the book of Acts is about the church, and it's about like the first century church and, and how it started, but it is also about this group of people who believed in Jesus, and they lived with this incredible expectation that God would show up and God would meet them. And so my question this morning, even as we start, is what are your expectations this morning? Like, what are you coming? What's, what's the longing of your heart's desire? How do you need God to meet you? How do you need God to show up in your life right now? Like, what's the expectation? The first two weeks, this will be week number three, in the first two weeks, we kind of, even though I gave you four points on one week and three points on another week, we really kind of said there's three things that happens in a person's expectation with, with God. And, and that what, when you ask the question, now what? The, the first week was really that first, repent of your sins and release your past. Let it go. Like, like whatever has happened, whatever your story is, everybody has a story, right? We were actually on a bike ride yesterday. I, was, I got a bunch of guys I ride bikes with quite a bit, and um, we're riding. And, and Paul Watson is not a man that doesn't have a lot of stories. He's got a lot of them. And we're on the ride, and one of the guys yells out, Hey, Paul, tell us a story. And I'm like, which one do you guys want to hear? And one of them says, tell, tell the story of your mama and her praying for you and, and, and the Lord healing you of epilepsy when you were a kid. And so I got to tell that story. But there's this space that all of us have a story. And there's a space that when you gave your life to Jesus, my guess is because it was what was going on in your story. And, and so we said, we said what, what would happen if when you give your life to Jesus and you said, now what? Release the past. Let it go. Repent of your sins. And then we said, and then we said, and then push into the Holy Spirit and receive the Holy Spirit and say, come, come, Holy Spirit. You know, that really is a core value for the Holy for the vineyard. That in the vineyard, one of the things that we constantly pray, one of our prayers that we constantly pray is just come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, change our hearts, come change our lives, come encounter us, come, Holy Spirit. And then we said last week that the very next thing that a believer should do after they've let their past go, after they've repented for their sins, after they've received the Holy Spirit, is that they should get connected to a body of believers. And I asked you, I don't know if you remember this, I said, I said last week, I said, what's the best community you've ever been a part of? When, when you look back at all the communities that you've been a part of, and sports teams, and, and groups, and, and guys you hung out with in college, and, and, and friends that you've made along the way, when you think about like your favorite community, what, what, which one is it? And then I made this declaration last week where I said, did you know that the church 
is supposed to be the greatest community you've ever been a part of. It really is. Whether it is or not, I I don't know. For some of you, that's really true. For others of you, that's not true at all. But the church, when you look at the first century church, that they gathered together, it said that they shared all things in common and they served one another. And here's the deal. They didn't do it begrudgingly. They literally enjoyed being around each other. They invested in each other's lives. And so now there comes this space for us that we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and we're going to say, now what? Now what do you do? And so let's read Acts chapter 3 together. We're going to read verses 1 to, I believe, 14. 1 to, 1 to um, 12. It says this. It says, so Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man who was lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, each day, catch that, each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Now that's a good gig. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this. Maybe this is like, you know, I probably generally way too often go too far in a message and say too many things. But when I see people like begging on street corners, there's some that I'm like, oh, dude, you need to get a better location. Come on, true, right? Like, true, you look and you're like, oh, dude, that's, that's just not a location. You just, you're probably not a, a very, you're probably not a very entrepreneurial. And then I see others and I'm like, genius, genius, you scored, you nailed it. That's genius. And I'm just saying, putting yourself outside the temple gates is genius. It's genius because church people are supposed to be compassionate, right? Oh, you guys are like, oh, that feels awkward. You get, you're not going to engage with me on that, huh? You're, you're going to leave me hanging. Genius. This is genius. This is genius. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at him eagerly, expecting some money. I love that because what Peter was just saying was, do we look like dudes with money? Which is why you guys left me hanging at the last moment. Because you're like, do we look like dudes with money? And he says, says, look at us. And expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Anybody want to say amen? Like, that's amazing. I don't have any silver or gold for you, but what I do have, I give to you. Get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. (laughs) I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but I'm going to keep reading. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. 
Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why store, stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power and godliness? Okay, we're going to pause for a second, right? So when we're here and there, we're reading this story. This story has so much in it. But the very first thing I want you to talk, or I want to talk about is this, is that when we say, now what? What do you do after you've repented of your sins? What do you do after you've received the Holy Spirit? What do you do after you have um, had, had this moment where you've gathered with this group of believers and this group of believers has become the best community you've ever joined? Luke would tell you the most important thing you can do after that is you can begin to develop spiritual practices. Like this is so important to a believer's life. You have to begin to develop spiritual practices. In this passage um, that you see, um, John and Peter, and what are they doing? They're going to the church to pray. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And so this was a part of their spiritual practice. This was a part of them being uh, connected to the community of believers that they begin to gather with other believers and they begin to spend time praying. Let me just ask you this question. We're still in January. If, if you've blown your habits already, it's okay because we still have 11 months to go. How are you doing at having spiritual practices? Do you have them? Do you have a regular time that you spend with the Lord? Do you pray? What's your prayer life like? How are you doing at reading the Bible? How are you doing at spiritual practices? That what is essential to a believer's life is developing spiritual practices. The reason this is important is because we don't simply believe things. You guys understand that, right? When you gave your life to Jesus, it wasn't because you believed some things. It was because you believed some things. But because you believe things, you should actually practice things. So as believers, what we have is it's not just a set of belief systems that we put on the shelf after uh, 12 o'clock on Sunday. That what happens is, is that you and I are called to develop spiritual practices that guide our life. And what you see in Acts chapter 3 is the very first sentence that we read is that Peter and John were on their way to pray. They were on their way to gather with a community of believers and pray together. And so how are you doing at your spiritual practices? How are you doing at your spiritual disciplines? How are you doing at your spiritual habits? Let me give you some that if you don't have some, that prayer should be a vital part of a Christian's life. Reading Scripture should be a vital part of a Christian's life. Generosity should be a vital part of a Christian's life. Serving others should be a vital part of a believer's life. Caring for the poor should be a vital part of a believer's life. It was fun. I got to take a walk with a new guy coming to our church this past week. And my wife and I, we just live a couple blocks away. We live downtown. And we were walking around downtown and grabbing coffee. And um, one of the, at one moment, he stopped me and he said, so why did you guys plant your church downtown? Now, if you don't know, if you don't know, it does not make sense for new churches to start 
in the downtown, if you're like planning to where you're going to plant in a church, most people would suggest to a pastor that if he's going to start a church or she's going to start a church, you should start in the suburbs. It's easier that way. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not actually how we make our decisions. Like, we don't make our decisions based on what's easier. We don't make our decisions based upon what makes more sense. What we do is we listen to the Holy Spirit. When we started the downtown Vineyard Church, um, many of the churches that were downtown were leaving the downtown area and going to the suburbs of our valley. And the Lord broke my heart for the downtown. We're called the Downtown Vineyard Church on purpose. On purpose. We want to be at the heart of our city. We want to be making a difference at the heart of our community. We want to be making a difference right in the center of our community. We are the Downtown Vineyard Church. We didn't do that on accident. You know, one of the things that Mother Teresa used to say that I love, she says, everything starts with prayer. But how can we talk so much about it and know so little of it? Prayer is the essential backbone of a believer's beliefs. We meet God in prayer. We confess our sins in prayer. We redeem our communities in prayer. We restore our faith in prayer. Prayer is central to the beliefs of a believer. And so we ask this question, how are you doing your spiritual habits in 2023? How's that going for you? You know, in prayer, we, we get to pray for people we know. In prayer, we get to pray for people we don't know. In prayer, we get to confess our needs. In prayer, we get to hope for things. In prayer, we get to be thankful for things. We get to confess our weaknesses and our fears. Prayer is the place that we submit our lives. In Psalm 63, 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Early in the morning, I will rise. And I will seek you. What a beautiful psalm. And when we say it's a beautiful psalm, right? That would be a mistake. Because that would mean that we were reading something as poetry. This particular psalm was actually the psalmist confessing. He was, he was making a confession of his faith. Oh God, you are my God. Early in the morning I will rise, and I will seek your face. Here's what I found. I have found that your greatest spiritual opportunities come directly out of your greatest spiritual practices. Did you know that? It's interesting that your spiritual opportunities come directly out of your spiritual practices. If, if you are not praying, you will probably hardly ever pray for someone. But if you are a person of prayer, don't you know that if you're a person of prayer, you find yourself praying for people all the time? If you're a person of prayer, if prayer is a part of your life, if it's a habit, if it's a practice, if it's a discipline, then in all actuality, what happens out of your prayer life is you find yourself praying for people all the time. 
You have people that come to you. And I, I'm on the phone with a buddy last night. Um, I, I, I made this post this week. And, and, I, and after I made the post, I came back and I went, oh, I probably shouldn't have posted that. I posted on Facebook. I said, if anybody thinks that being a pastor is easy, dot, 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 it's not. And then I put away my Facebook feed. I put away my phone. And I went into three consecutive, incredibly difficult conversations. And what I was referring to in that post was just pastors carry a lot of weight of a lot of people's lives. And then when I came back at the end of that night, about 9 o'clock, I look at that post, and there's 150 people going, Pastor Paul, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? It was just, it was just one of those days where we were carrying a lot for people. And then last night, I have a buddy, and he calls me, and he's a pastor, and he goes, you got a few, few minutes to talk? I said, yeah, how you doing? He goes, man, I'm it's been a hard week. It's been a hard week. And we just got to, I got to, then I got to look at him and say, hey, can I pray for you? Right? If prayer is a part of your practice, you will find yourself praying for people. If reading the Bible is a part of your practice, you know what you'll find yourself doing? You'll find yourself lining your life up with the Bible. You see, if you don't have a habit of reading the Bible, my guess is you probably don't have a habit of practicing the Bible. The way that the Bible works is this, is that when you read it, you adjust your life to it because it tells you how to live a life that honors God. If you find yourself with a weak biblical practice, I will almost assure you that you have a weak biblical life. That, that's not a shot. That's just how it works. The Bible feeds you. When you read it, it reads you. And so when you find yourself and you find yourself with a habit of reading the Bible, you will find yourself with a habit because Scripture will convict you on how you're living. And they'll say, hey, don't do that anymore. And then you stop doing that. And so pretty soon you keep reading the Bible. And pretty soon you keep adjusting your life. And pretty soon you look up and two or three years later, you look up and you're like, you're not the same person you used to be. But if you have a habit of ignoring the Bible, you will have a habit of ignoring sin. And you will find yourself struggling with the same thing over and over and over and over Psalms 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Psalms 119.105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it guides my path. And so biblical Bible reading isn't just a habit. You're like, oh, i got to read my Bible today. No, no, when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you, and then you adjust your life to the Bible because that's how we live lives that honor God. You see, spiritual habits are incredibly important to a believer's life. Repentance is an incredible good habit to have because when you can come before the Lord regularly and say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Then what will happen is that you will become a person who learned to extend forgiveness and mercy to others. If you will learn to be a person who repents to God, you will also practice a practice that helps you Learn how to extend mercy and forgiveness to God. Because if you can receive God's mercy and forgiveness on your life, then you can learn to give it to others on their life. Repentance isn't just a habit that you should clean up your life because there's sin in it. Repentance is how we learn to have mercy and forgiveness for others. It's a spiritual habit. It's a spiritual practice. Generosity. Generosity is a place that when you develop the gift of generosity, you'll also find ways to help people in need. I loved it this week. This week I got to call a couple, and we got this couple in our church, and every year at the Christmas Eve service, they walk, I mean, I'm telling you, they've done this now for years. They walk up to me and they hand me 
Five envelopes. Each one of those envelopes have money in it. I know how much is in there. There's 100 bucks in each one of those envelopes. In each one of those envelopes, they say, Pastor, we want you to give this to people in need. This year, I got to hand those envelopes, and I got to make the phone call to them last week, and I got to just say, hey, can I just tell you what your money did? Your money this year helped a single mom who was out of work. Your money this year helped a family that was going to be evicted on New Year's Day. That the money that you gave them helped them keep their home. And you helped, your dollars helped a lady that is getting ready to have surgery coming up here in about a week. And we got to give her money that got to pay for her hotel rooms so that when she goes to Denver, she doesn't have to worry about that. But, but I'm telling you, here's the piece. Generosity that is in their heart helps them recognize the needs of others. You can't be generous without replicating the need or the desire to begin to see people in a way where you're like, how do I help? Generosity breeds it. Your spiritual opportunities always come directly out of your spiritual practices. Point two. Point two. Here's the second thing. If you said, okay, so what do you do after? What do you do now? Now what? What do you do now that you begin to develop spiritual practices? You have to ask the Lord to give you eyes to see others. Don't overlook the needs of others. This is the body of Christ. This is first century. We're literally reading the manuscript of how people lived in the first century. And in the first century, people's habit was to ignore the needs of others. In the first century, people's habit, their practice, was to ignore the needs of others. I think Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 5 are fascinating. It says, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Can we just replace that old word, that first century word, the temple? Can we just replace that for a second? That each day, he was put beside the gate called beautiful, so he could beg from people who were going to church. When Peter and John saw him, when Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money, and Peter looked at him intently and said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. Catch this. This man had been set at the church doors for years. And for years, people had given him money but hadn't prayed for him. Isn't that ironic? What did the guy need? What did the guy need? Everybody, like, like we, we're, we're now afraid to answer because you're like, what if I answer wrong? I'm in church. Did the guy need money? Yeah, he needed money. He couldn't work. He needed money. He needed, he needed a way to sustain his life. He needed that. But what he really needed was he needed healing. He needed somebody to see him. He needed somebody to care for him. He needed somebody to say, you know what? I don't have money, but you know what I do have? I have a God who can heal you. That's what I have. I may not have money, but I have a God who can heal you. And he said, 
Silver and gold have I none. Rise up and walk. Now catch this. Here's, here's the interesting part. Probably, probably, this man had probably never been on the inside of the temple. And the reason why is because in the first century, if you had leprosy or if you were lame or if you were blind, they believed that that was a choice by God and he had cursed you for something either you had done or your family had done. So here was a guy that had never actually ever experienced what it was like to be in the community of believers because he had already been rejected by the community of believers. And so when we read about him in just a moment, we're going to see him and Peter and John take him into church, leaping and dancing and praising God. And it's probably the very first time in his life he was ever actually allowed to go into the church of believers. Is that powerful? Like there's this space that when you meet somebody's need, when you pray for them, when you meet their needs, it is a door for them to become a part of the community of believers. Isn't that the most ironic paragraph? That here's a guy begging, begging believers for help. Begging believers for help. And most of those believers walked right by him. Compelling churches care more about people than they do their practices. Should I say that again? Compelling churches, churches that, that, that draw people who say, I want to be a part of that, care more about people than they do their rituals. Like there's this space where we have to begin to recognize people's needs and say, hey, come with me. Come be a part of this thing. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. You see, when Christians gather, people's lives should get better. Better. Would you say that with me? When Christians gather, people's lives should get better. Would you say that with me? When Christians gather, people's lives should get better. God is in the spirit of changing people's lives. Let's just take a little straw poll here. How many of you could say that God has changed your life? Yeah. Hopefully that's everybody. That God has changed your life. When believers gather, people's lives should get better. That's how it should work. We should figure out ways to help people, and we should figure out ways how to help kids, and we should figure out ways how to help marriages. I came out of my meeting this morning. I have this group of uh, people that I meet with every other month. They're called our spot team, and they run a whole bunch of ministries in our, our church. And, and the, the, our Comedy for Hope is one of those um, events that will happen because that's one of the ways that we are going to actually engage with Convoy of Hope and help them raise money to serve the poor. That's why we're doing the event. We're not just, we're not in the business of comedy shows. We're going we're gonna to raise dollars to help feed children in need. That's what we're going to do. And so this should be an exciting thing that we say, hey, let's get behind that. But I got to sit with them and I got to say, I hope you recognize that the ministry that you're doing is because we're in the business of changing people's lives. Because Jesus changed my life, Lene and I planted a church. Because Jesus changed your life, you share your faith and your love for Jesus with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your co-workers. The church is a place that should be in the business of changing people's lives and people's lives should get better. People's marriages should get better. 
Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Matthew eleven twenty eight, And Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, and all of you who have heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. That's a promise. You see, we don't avoid certain people because of what other people might say or think. Jesus continually engaged in the rejected society. He continually cared for the poor. He continually cared for the leper. He continually cared for the lame. He continually cared for the traitor. You see, the third thing that happens is this, is that when you give your life to Jesus, we should be people who live with an expectation we should be people that live with an expectation that Jesus can change people's lives. My hope for you this morning is this, that this morning that you come with this space in your heart that you've left open for God, that just says, God, I believe that you could change my life. I expect that you could hear my prayers. I expect you could heal my family. I expect that you could provide that job or save my marriage or heal my sickness, that as believers, we're called to live with lives of expectation. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. I believe, I believe with all of my heart that God wants to encounter you this morning. I believe that. Anybody else believe that? I believe that. I believe that, that God wants to change lives. They want to change your life, wants to change the lives of people you know. God wants to restore, redeem, renew. I believe that God can. It's, di it's different than just believing that God wants to. I believe that God can, right? One of the greatest ironies is we try to fix people and their problems with money. And if we're really honest, money doesn't change a lot. Come on, how many of you guys make more money now than you did when you were 20? How many of you are 20 and you want to make more money? <laughs> right? Like, like I, can remember, I can remember being 20 and thinking, if I only made this much amount of money, and then I get to make that much amount of money, and it changed almost nothing. I'm now in my 50s. Our kids are grown. We're, 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 we're double income, no kids. We're dinks, Naya. We finally made it. We're dinks. Double income, no kids. And, and yet, literally... We talk all the time that sometimes it was easier in our 20s, right? Money changes almost nothing, but you know what does change things? Love, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What changes something is when you walk into your office and you literally see people and you say, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Like, what, what this man needed 
was something different than money. Money was just going to keep him in the same place that he'd always been. It was just another way. We're going to feed him one more day. What he needed was healing. What he needed was to encounter God. What he needed was life change. Here's the fourth thing. I hope you recognize that the opportunities God gives you to share the good things that he's doing in your life. And what's really powerful, believers, is you say, what now, what now, what now? As you develop spiritual habits, as God gives you eyes to see others, that what you have to begin to do, the fourth thing that you begin to do, is you begin to recognize, you begin to recognize the opportunities God gives you and the good things he puts in your life. Peter saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. At this moment, this lame man who couldn't walk is now in church for the first time, and he's leaping, and he's praising God, and Peter says, I have this moment and I can recognize that God's doing something right now. And so he begins to testify of the good things that God is doing on this day. Let the Lord give you eyes to see the good things that he's doing and then proclaim them and then share them and then tell people about them. You know, I'm going to close with this last story. I don't know if you're a football fan or not. But this past week, we had an NFL player. He took a shot to his heart, and he collapsed on the field. Maybe you're familiar with it. DeMar Hamlin, he plays for the Buffalo Bills. And for nine minutes, his heart stopped. And everybody watching the game began to pray. Dan Orvalosky the ESPN announcer. He said, I don't know if you're a believer or not, but I'm a believer, and I believe that God can do a miracle right now. And he prayed on national TV. The whole Buffalo Bills team, they dropped to their knees, and they, they begin to pray for their, their friend, and they begin to pray, and they begin to pray that God would heal him. The very next day, in, uh, the very next week, in all the football games, all the football games started with two people from each team going out to the 50-yard line and dropping to their knees and praying. And it's just amazing that God will take a situation and he will use it for his glory, and all of a sudden we get to hear stories of, of um, DeMar Hamlin, and he's making a full recovery. But there's this moment that sometimes you have a moment, and it's just a moment. You might not have it tomorrow. You might not have it the next day, but you have it right now. When God does something great in your life, Take the opportunity to share his goodness with all of those you can. I'm going to pray for us and invite Linnea to take us into a time of contemplation. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that we would recognize what you're doing this morning. And we come to you with great expectation this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come move upon us. Come draw us to you. Yes, Holy Spirit. We just welcome you, God. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you speak to us, Lord. So right now, as we prepare to enter worship... As you think about the message and in light of what we've just heard, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Just take a minute of quiet to listen.
do believe that God speaks. He speaks to each one of us. What is he saying to you? How is God inviting you to respond? What is he placing on your mind and in your heart? Is he bringing someone up that he wants you to talk to? Maybe he wants you to come forward when the ministry team comes. What is he speaking to you? God speaks so that we can respond. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Finally, what spiritual practice will you commit to this week? Will you read your Bible daily? Will you pray more? Not just tell that neighbor, I'll pray for you, but actually pray on the spot. What practices is he calling you to? He's always calling us into a deeper relationship with him, to deepen our walk, to deepen our faith, to change our lives. So in turn, we can give to others and help change theirs. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.